0: Welcome to the Language of Ahava podcast, a podcast for families with young children. So what happens when a rabbi and an early childhood teacher walk into a podcast? I think it's going to be fun, and I'm sure it's going to be about connections. Hi, I'm Karen DeWister, and I'm the early childhood teacher.
1: And I'm David Steinhardt. I'm the senior rabbi at B'nai Torah congregation. Every conversation that I have with Karen is always fascinating and leads to new ideas. So joining together with Karen, making connections together is really what our goal is.
0: I thank you, because what the perspective that you bring to my world and my experiences from the Torah, from tradition, from community, um, from parenthood and grandfatherhood, it's all magnificent. So here comes our podcast. Uh, We'll be posting every other Friday just before Shabbat because we want to make these connections with you. And when you give a little Ahava, you make this world a better place.
1: I'm ready, Karen. Let's get going.
0: There we go. Welcome, everyone. This is episode number 14 of the Language of Ahava. And it's only Rabbi <laughs> Steinhardt so, and myself. So I want to take really full advantage of having Rabbi alter myself <laughs> and to you. But so, so it's a topic I've been thinking about since I heard this months ago in a whole different concept. And I want to talk about. What is a Jewish imagination? And for me, imagination, because I'm an early childhood person and I believe in storytelling and and embracing myths and a culture around our children, I want to use a word like imagination to capture something about the meaningfulness of being Jewish, of a Jewish identity. And, and, And I'm feeling like I want a different vocabulary because... Even Mel Brooks, when he's out there talking about his new biography, he's saying, I'm not spiritual, I'm not religious, but I am tribal. And I don't believe in that dichotomy because I know that Jewish spirituality and religion shapes this culture. So can we call it imagination where it just is about meaningfulness? Rabbi, help! Well, it's great,
1: look, it's a really good question to ask, and it's great that you asked that question, because first of all, being not Jewish, but immersing yourself in a Jewish community, there's not obviously a lot of stuff that comes up, and you have to wonder, you know, like, what is this really about? Because there is so much diversity in the Jew, amongst the Jewish people, and you know, it's like the, the joke about, you know, asking two Jews the same question, you get at least three answers. You get more than three answers. So, um, to be Jewish is to be like a Jew. You know, Jew-ish. You don't. You don't talk about people as being Christian-ish. You know, they're Christians. So, to, what does it mean then to be like a Jew? And I would say that what you the the issue that you raise about imagination is really important, and maybe even an essential part of being Jewish. And that it, that comes down to this notion that maybe that which is most important cannot be seen through the eyes, but it's felt through the heart. Or that which is most important can be experienced without being absolutely known or only known in one way. So you think about it in terms of the biblical tradition, you know, the biblical tradition beginning with God creating the heaven and earth through a word. We don't know how that really happened. You know, maybe with this telescope that's going to show the edges of the universe, we'll get more of an idea. But we don't really know what that happened, what how that happened. And that is in the that is in your language, that's metaphor and that's myth, right? But yet we're based on that kind of mythology. And then a little bit later on, you've got this story of of Avram who becomes Abraham, right, and his encounter with God. And what really defines his encounter with God is that as opposed to the culture that he lives in and the family that he lives with, he doesn't believe that God can be seen, that God cannot be depicted as an idol or God cannot be seen in the form of some power in the universe, in a human form that then creates the symbols that, that where the people are forced to worship. So that's another aspect where you can't see the God, see God. and I, I want to go on, there's more, there's so much more in the Torah about that. So, you know, we kind of unite with each other based on a holy time, right? Shabbat, right? And Shabbat, it's not something that can be seen. It's something that we experience and we give meaning to it. So all that, and then the great like um, uh, revelation that took place at Sinai, once again, we know that God can't be seen, but then he's depicted through a word. He's depicted through a language. He's depicted through the, the mitzvot. Go on. you're
0: Yeah, you're I've got because there's a million things flying around. So write yourself some cheat sheets there to come what you need to come back to, because so that that being Jewish isn't one solitary thing. We know that we we know that, and you've done this in this podcast from the beginning, which is I, there isn't this checklist that you have to check all these boxes in order to be embraced, seen, and understood, and to be a part of a Jewish community and and all that this Jewish community offers. The idea of seeing with the heart I, I, and I want to spend a minute because you know my mission on this podcast is to somehow make your you in, in particular and Jewish community in general accessible to young families as I meet them. And so what I know it, when you say that God cannot be seen and and I mean that we can't, this whole God conversation, is where we need imagination. And then I wanna bring you back to that speaker that we had here at B'nai Torah, the speech writer who wrote the book about how shocked she was when she immersed herself in a study of what Judaism is. It was not the Judaism of her childhood. It, bec- it was something about how it's lived in behavior, in social action, in, in mitzvot, it's so this whole idea of how do we even express this di- this dichotomy between religious judaism and cultural judaism i don't think this exists anymore for young culture young family culture young adults or as you've described where judaism is evolving because so because i hear you trying to express what the divine is and what is holy and what is sacred in a vocabulary that I have, I often struggle recreating mm-hmm. because I fall back on those old images of, yeah. of idolatry or, or, you know, Santa Claus, God, whatever. And so right. you have so much to teach all of us young I'm not so young young families and new to a jewish journey that so whether so let's talk a little bit about that God, how do we capture something bigger than culture that's not just food and genetics or or even choice it's 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 an imagination it's the connection to that heart please
1: okay so i think that um, once again, getting back to this word Jewish, then to be Jewish, then one does connect to a culture or to a people, to a community and to a people. And then there are things that every tribe does, the rituals of a tribe that make one Jewish. Now it may be rooted, you know, in its origins, in this, the concept of an unknowable an unseeable God but then it's kind of lived out through the practices and the values of a people. One of the ways that we get to know how to define who somebody is, is to look at the boundaries of the definition of who they are and see how does somebody from the outside come into the inside? So I think it's an interesting exercise to do that may have to do with the whole concept of how does one become Jewish? And here there's a great story in the Talmud. And by the way, all of this is evolving. It's all, it has always evolved and has always been, it's been different over different periods in, in our history. So, so there are these two great schools of thought in the Talmud, the school of Hillel and the school of Shammai. And there's a wonderful little little narrative in the Talmud that says um, a, a an outsider, I don't remember how he's defined, but someone who's, who's not Jewish comes to Shammai and says to him, I'd like you to teach me all I need to know about being Jewish while I stand on one foot. Now, Shammai was a guy who ran an important academy, was a great intellectual, a great learner and teacher. And he found the question, I think, to be insulting. He spends his whole life learning this stuff to define what it means to be Jewish. And so according to the text, he takes a board and he hits the guy. In the head, like, get out of here, don't waste my time. You can't be Jewish, but through something I say while I stand on one foot. And then he goes to the, the head of the other academy, to Hillel, and he says, Rabbi Hillel, teach me everything I need to know to become Jewish while I stand on one foot. And Hillel says, Do not do to someone else what you wouldn't want them to do to yourself. It's a reversal on the golden rule, but it's a statement, it's a statement about. To be Jewish, you have to empathize with other human beings. You have to hold. You have to. You start from that place. You have to feel what another human being feels. So then you can enter into the people. It's a very. It's a great story, and it and it, it speaks to my heart. That story.
0: Well, I was going to and it heart. describes a Jewish heart, and and it's not that, Buddhists or certain and Christians, and and that others don't have that value but and of course you've said it many many times it's also a process of inquiry that is specifically jewish um you know you have you have jewish cones everywhere (laughs) to to be unraveled but but i do think that's it's such a good place to begin um first for young families to say okay, we we want to know, we may want to tie into tradition and lifelong teachings and, and historical wisdom, but you better grab us fast too, yeah. um, or you're going to lose us. So, so there is that, while it is yeah. insulting and, yeah. and disrespectful, there is some deep truth to that. And then when I think of how we teach children, um, we teach children how to live, Jewishly, we teach children those values. Um, And then of course, uh, Shabbat and and the holidays and.
1: Yeah, I look at, I've seen with young people um, that they, they don't really observe much of anything. They don't go to synagogue regularly or ritually. They don't like long services in a language they don't understand but they do light candles and they do homotzi with a challah and they do something else. So many of them have a little tzedakah box and that's such an important part. So before they start Shabbat, they get, have their kids give tzedakah and it's such an important part of living this life is to understand that. Going back to Abraham, let me just say one other thing. when What makes um, Abraham um, desirous of starting this new people? And there's a, there's a couple things in that question, but one of them is God says, you're going to create a people who live by um, justice and righteousness. And so in order to be order in this world, there needs to be a law. And in order for people to exist within that law, there has to be a sense of mercy and righteousness in that law. Those are really big ideas that are found in a really simple story.
0: Do you think that in your personal experience um, where a generation ago being a member of a of a shul attending services was a measure of a certain kind of life, um, that this new Awareness, th- this this dissatisfaction among young, um, and and some of it is just a convenience issue. I just can't spread myself too thin. You're asking too much of me. Um, but at the same time, there is that that finger pointing to the. That's all nice, but that's mm, that. There's something deeper that they want to find in Judaism, and and so. you, B'nai Torah, you personally, I mean, you are re you are defining a newly emerging Judaism that is being defined not by um, attending services, outward expressions of prayer and holiness.
1: Yeah. Let me respond to this. Not, no, not from the perspective of the basic mythology or, or, belonging to a community but it's it's a, in relation to it's a sociological uh, response because when Jews came here to this country in the you know late uh, 1800s there was a huge wave of immigration then after also the, uh, through the middle part of the 20th century and certainly after the second world war there was this great fear on the part of so many of them because in Europe in Eastern Europe particular, they lived in what were called, you know, shtetls. And these were little towns that were all Jewish. And the calendar and the, the whole flow of life was about that. And everybody, you know, everybody had a Jewish education. And everybody went to the synagogue on Shabbat. And these are those towns. So when they come to America, America's open and free and vibrant and vital. And there are all these choices they felt like in order to be able to retain that identity, we had to find some place where it would happen, and so the synagogue became the central place. And going to that synagogue on Shabbat became the central activity to define one's um, Jewishness in relation to a Jewish people and a Jewish community. So now we're it's, we're two, three generations later, and it's not it's not seen in the same way anymore. So, and that's and by the way, that's also related to other all sorts of other forces. The breakdown of community itself in the larger society, the acceptance of of Jews in the larger society, also plays into that. I don't have to do that to find my Jewishness anymore, as you said. And I'm going to leave this one to you. But I think that one of the aspects of being a human being is that there is a spiritual yearning. Like we want to know where we are, where we come from. We want to know where we're going. We want to know what we ask this question. What's the purpose of my life? Now we avoid that question because it's really hard to answer. And, and I'd hard. like to.
0: I want. I'm gonna. I'd like to talk about that. I, I want. I want you to try to answer that in the framework of it, it, that. That I believe there is a quest for sacred and holy. Um, especially in a world where community isn't in a building anymore. And so there is this loneliness. We know, I mean, when we looked at all the other topics we thought about talking about today, it had to do with fear, anxiety, loneliness, just being overwhelmed by this current world. And and what I want to say is I I believe that in as i search for that word word of imagination i'm trying to say look you may not define it as god but it is something that is bringing meaning and and so how would you describe that meaning and and, and also the other thing that i want to ask about is the shabbat question which is that the jewishness the jewish the holiest place is that family table, is that Shabbat table, is that it's always been in the home, I think. Uh, Maybe I got that from Blessings of a Skinny uh, or someplace way back when that. um, So what is holy? What is sacred in this crazy modern world where we are trying to redefine whatever God, spirit, divine, all of that might, we don't even have help. (laughs)
1: Okay, this is what I was was thinking about. In America through the 20th century, um, we lived with a, a desire to attain and obtain. That success was defined by our ability to move from cities out into the suburbs. I'm talking about a generation ago. And we were really interested in having more. And power in this society, in this culture also went to those who had the most, that they were the most powerful. And now we're at a place, I think we're at a place in history where people can look around and say, I can have all the things in the world. I can have the best cars, multiple cars. You know, if each one of us can have a few cars and live in the big, biggest house. And that's not bringing me, that's not bringing me satisfaction or happiness. And so then I go, I chase after other desires. And those also don't bring us that happiness. But when we are able to center ourselves on our heart and on something bigger than that which we can see, which gets us back to that first question, then maybe we enter into a different realm of seeking and searching and we start looking for a connection to that which is divine and not the materialism. And so my thinking about the world right now is that things are really out of balance and i think there's some people that are still you know using using their desire for gain and all they got to say this is what life should be about. And there are other people that are saying i think what life is about is feeling what other people are feeling that experiencing relationship And then understanding that all of our relationships are contained in a relationship with that, which is divine, that, which is holy. And let me stop there. You want to follow up on that?
0: Well, because so, and you've said it on this podcast many times, and that is how learning becomes essential to that process. Um, Because with that yearning for answers, explanations, or meaning um, comes, we can't do that just in our own heads. So whether it's a Torah study, whether it's coming and hearing a rabbi give a sermon. Um,
1: what about this? What about this conversation? You know, this, this um, I find meaning in the conversation with you. I find meaning in your question. And I don't. I think we have to get beyond this, the assumption that I have the answers, or you have the answers, or anyone has the answers, or the answer. There isn't an answer. There are answers. Learning, learning opens those doors for us.
0: But you do have frameworks that most of us lack, um, where we. I watch you far more comfortable with the language of, so it's when I, because I don't know how to reassure young parents out there that there is, that everything will be okay, Um, either within their hearts, within their families, within communities, um, because there is a power of a connection.
1: Yeah, but, you know, Karen, I I heard you say something that I, I actually am surprised to hear you say. And that is, how can you reassure anybody that everything's going to be okay? I think it's being, it's it's like what we need is the kind of the, the realization that sometimes things are okay, sometimes things aren't okay. And that being able to open ourselves up to that and that kind of gets to the whole issue of vulnerability and fallibility and stuff like that.
0: Okay, so... I'll follow me with that um, because that not okay. When I think of the old podcast, see me, hear me, love me. It was, you've got this because you are breathing, thinking, doing, feeling, living the process and mistakes. And more importantly, you're not alone. That whatever that journey is that you're on is shared. I still, I do when I so that reassurance for me always finally gets grounded in you will not do this alone, and yeah. then that to me that brings us back to that empathy, which is you can assume and or take for granted. And I think especially in a Jewish community, again, because I, I put pl- we have that song, wherever you go, there's always someone Jewish. You know, it is it's a silly old camp song and we laugh when we play it. But it is true. I am a member of a tribe. I am connected. I can count on Shabbat being wherever I am anywhere in the world. And so with that empathy that reminds us to look out and see who's around us. Specific and again, I, I'm the observer here, but but I feel like I can also say, wait, let me let me remind you of what is big and real um and yeah. i just happen to be lucky enough to be in a jewish community yeah. um but again and and clearly not jewish i mean I, and that's okay um because i've been treated with such belonging and respect um that it's 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 lovely but so if i can say to people look around with that empathy and then and trust that that empathy is will be there and given to you not it's again, and, it, and I think it's common in other cultures and religions, which is much like a namaste, you know, that I bow to a connection that we can both take for granted. Um, and I, I think that is a sense of humanity um, that um, a shared humanity and whether that is a, a Jewish humanity, a Buddhist humanity, a Christian humanity, a secular humanity. I want that for everyone um but i also can share the richness of this jewish humanity um because it's so big and deliberate and intentional
1: yeah it is i mean i'm 68 years old i've been learning this torah of ours for at least um 55 years you know since even before the time of my own bar mitzvah yeah and um sometimes I'm overwhelmed by a, the fact that reading some of the same things every year, I continue to find something new in it. And I'm also a bit overwhelmed by just how, how brilliant it is yeah. in relation to it, not just creating a people who are set aside, but creating a way to respond to this life of ours with incredible, you know, passion and incredible empathy, as, as you said, and one of you know one of the things about I, one of the things about Buddhism, I, I dabbled in Buddhist thought and reading Buddhist literature when I was in college. I became a meditator at that point. But the thing that moved me away from it, and I had been you know Jewish my whole life, was I felt like people need community. So, and I found Buddhism to be so self-reflective, and place such important on importance on the individual's experience that it lost the sense of responsibility for others and the broader sense of belonging to something and,
0: and i, I think, think this the jewish community is such a powerful and and as you said it may be historical it may be cultural that that made that forged the, those connections yeah. but but let me still because i still want to fight for this this that, that this spiritual component. And so as you think of the richness of the Torah, the richness of teachings, the richness of the wisdom. So we've got this Venn diagram where we've got all of the cultural, which which you've heard when we bring any young family on the podcast. They embrace it. They they are identifying with with. I mean, I get goosebumps just knowing how strong that Jewish identity is yeah. in many young families. And but that but that always that phrase. But I'm not spiritual. But I'm not religious. So you know that there's a place in that heart where the two overlap. That 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 is not this that that we can let go that. Other spirituality, that other religiosity, that was their grandparents' Torah. You see the relevance. You see the meaning. Can you express that to the young families? Yeah, yeah. More than tribal. Yeah.
1: I don't. I also. I don't want to go on too long because I don't want to bore okay. that. If oh, okay. That. If I lost anybody, track of time. Code we, code. I know we could talk about it forever, but unless someone's uh, still watching,
0: this will be our wrap up. Yeah, the
1: this is, so I, I talked about kind of that need when, when the generation came from Europe, you know, to like keep it alive by defining it very tightly and putting it in the synagogue or in, you know, just in the Jewish home. I, I, I think the need is different now. And I think this is the challenge of the rabbi, um, the teachers, the leaders. And that is now we have to look at what society is giving us and then find within the tradition responses to that. Okay, let me give you an example. Masking, right? I believe our tradition obligates us to care for the health, not only of ourselves, but others. And so I could talk about putting a mask on, even if some people will not agree with the politics of it, but talk about it as human responsibility and see it as a religious responsibility. I could talk about, You know, like this, we have this great program, as everyone is aware, called um, TLC. That is living, it's it's religion in action. And it's part of what we're obligated to do. So the fact that there are homeless and hungry people around us, we have to look at our tradition and see how it can guide us in doing those types of things. Finally, let me talk about something else that's not kind of related to that, but something else and does touch on the inner spirit. And that is we have a tradition that, believe it or not, commands us to express gratitude. And I do believe that gratitude is perhaps the first step or the most important step in living a spiritual life. When we can open our eyes and think, you know, thank God I'm alive, right? Thank God the sun is shining. Karen, and I say this seriously, thank God I have a relationship with Karen Wester. You You know, when I can feel those things, then I can feel something, something either divine in me or something that's uh, beyond me.
0: It's perfect. It's perfect. Happy Um, New Year. Pardon me? Sorry. New Year. I just love the fearlessness with which you can communicate a religious response to a crazy world that doesn't feel out of place. At least to me, and I and and I hope that maybe we can share that. Just that people can be fearless. That there is a connection, and and it is through stories, through songs, through prayers, and through that gratitude. Um, because that idea of being taught, taught, reminded every morning, every night. Say thank you. You know, have, have the hundred uh, is it a hundred at night? When when do the hundred
1: it's through the, each day. A hundred uh,
0: day. day. You know, it's anyways. Um I, I invite everyone. I know we've gone long and I thank you, Rabbi. I just invite everyone to to be open to what Rabbi can teach us all, and, and not as the teacher, but as the as the role model, as the, as the as someone who cares to have this conversation, and so please, please, please write us, talk to us, stop by Rabbi's office on a good day when when you can get back out into the world again. Maybe, and
1: maybe we should do a live podcast where we can, or maybe if people respond with questions, we can read the questions and do a podcast. In response to those questions, but
0: let's find out how to Q-A. how to really bring in the Q and A. Whether whether it's a live on Facebook, whether it's a live Zoom, yeah, let's let's get this open because um, we it's a message that I wish for everyone. And um, so, thank you, thank you, Rabbi.
1: Shabbat Shalom, Happy New Year! Really, I hope twenty twenty. It's not a, the Jewish New Year, but the larger culture certainly celebrates this as a new year and it is a time to reframe and reorganize and and to like bring our kind of prayerful prayerful selves to the hopes that we hold so thanks karen thanks for believing
0: in the hope there is hope thank you rabbi thank you so much for listening today for being part of this moment for being part of these ahava connections and for trying to give a little ahava to one another Thank you to my co-host, Rabbi David Steinhardt, for always adding timeless wisdom and a meaningful connection to our world and to this podcast. Thank you, B'nai Torah congregation, for being our community of support and a place to share with one another. You hold us together in a world that is too often pulling us apart. Thank you to Cantor Magda Fishman for your voice and your whistling, your song, and the soul that you bring to everything you do. If you don't know Cantor Fishman, please check her out at B'nai Torah Services. You will be transformed and inspired. Finally, thank you to the Jewish Federation of South Palm Beach County for helping to fund this Ahava podcast and Ahava Nature Shabbat. And to our Ahava Malahim, our angels, the families who also help underwrite these Ahava projects. For more information about B'nai Torah congregation, the website is btcboka.org. You can also find me, Karen Dearwester, at familytimeinc.com. Until next time, Shabbat Shalom and give a little Ahava. Take care.
1: When you give a little love, you'll see you make this world a better place, a much better place to be. When you give a little, ah, ha I When you give a little love, you'll see. You'll make this world a better place, a much better place to be. You'll make this world a better place, a much better place
0: to be.